what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For, the podcast where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is humanitarian and champion for those in need, Nate Mook. There's always a solution somewhere. You just have to be willing to, to, to push forward and look for it. A true Renaissance man, Nate began his career in the worlds of tech and filmmaking with prestigious NGOs and startups as clients. He has worked with the TED organization dedicated to giving a voice to underserved communities. Now he continues his charitable efforts as CEO of World Central Kitchen. Founded by Chef Jose Andres, World Central Kitchen is a nonprofit devoted to serving meals to people impacted by disaster. In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, this organization is needed now more than ever. Luckily, Nate, Jose, and the team are there to help. Nate has been recognized as a change hero by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and he's certainly not done encouraging change that the world so desperately needs. Today, we're talking about success, food relief, and doing meaningful work. Please enjoy my interview with Nate Mook. Nate Mook, thank you so much for joining me on To Dine For the podcast. It is great to be with you this morning. So great to be here, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, I can't wait to dive into your career, specifically your work now with World Central Kitchen. But I want to go back, 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 back to okay. where it all started. I noticed that you went to IU Bloomington. Is this correct? This is correct. Okay. I also went to school in Indiana at Notre Dame. And so I thought yeah. it would be wonderful to hear from you what you studied and what you thought you wanted to do in college. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. So yes, I went to, to, to IU Bloomington. Um, I was a, was a Hoosier. I s sort of was, was in between a couple of things. I was, wasn't sure if I wanted to 
go down the route of sort of technology, computer science. I was sort of in the tech world at that time. And I was sort of, you know, watching what was happening in the world and all this transformational change at the end of the 90s and early 2000s around the potential of, of, of what can happen when we have all of this power at our fingertips, right? And this is pre-iPhone days, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I had this, a split major between computer science and business. And I was actually more interested in sort of the history of business, you know, going back to the the titans of industry mm-hmm. in the early 20th century and the Rockefellers and the Andrew Carnegies and and all of these folks and sort of the how it you know kind of led to for better or worse sort of where we, where we were in. So that was I was pretty firmly at that point, you know, of the mindset that I was going to go into just just being technology my my whole life like get into software and tech and and all of that that was like where my my world was and and for a while that that's that is that is what happened absolutely and looking at your background it's such an interesting background because you're you're clearly an entrepreneur you've started tech companies but you're also very much uh we're a kindred spirit here Nate in that I I feel like you have a strong pull towards journalism and documenting what you see you've been a doc documentarian. You've created video content for Bill Clinton. You've done Baltimore Rising. You've done a lot of visual storytelling. So it's not often you find somebody who is an entrepreneur, has started tech companies, but who is also has clearly both sides of the brain here working, um, (laughs) that you are firing on all cylinders. If you had to distill what you think you're really best at, what you are really, really, what Nate Mook is good at, what would that be? I I think I would break it down to one word, which is amplification. Mm. And what I mean by that, so so if I go back to sort of there is a thread to the madness of of what you what you just explained, Kate. So when I my first tech company that I started was a, a website and we wrote about technology. So it was sort of a blog before blogs really existed. That term didn't, didn't exist when I started it. And was this localist? Uh, no, this was called Beta News. Okay, this, Beta News. It was called Beta News. Yeah. So this was was the first company I started, and it was we were writing about what was happening in the world of software and mm. technology. And this was when it was still kind of niche, right? Like before we were all at a certain point, technology went from being sort of a, a niche kind of nerdy thing to just something that was just part of our everyday lives. Absolutely, it, just is, it is is what it is. So so it went from being you know this sort of category to to just being the news you know if anything happens in technology is part of the news but it, at its core was about you know journalism is about taking you know something that's going on an event a ha- you know whatever it might be distilling it down into a way that you're sort of getting across the main points to the reader and getting them to care about it right mm-hmm. you have to figure out like what's what do they care about mm-hmm. why why should they be paying attention to this what's the hook mm-hmm. so a lot of my early work in tech was was focused a little bit on this storytelling component right of like how do you get people to care about what's happening in technology mm-hmm. and and distill that down and relay that information out that led me to work with this organization called TED um, yes. as they were starting this pro- this TEDx program, which was they were taking the big TED conference and taking it all around the world mm-hmm. and these little, you could launch your own little TEDx events. I was there in for the launch of TEDx and helping create what 
TEDx was was going to become. TED was all about okay, instead of instead of with journalism, you're you know on paper or on the screen. TED was like on the stage, right? How do you take an idea? How do you take a concept? And how do you tell that story so that people care about it? They connect with it, and it like leaves an imprint on them. So it was sort of another evolution of of that storytelling. And then that took me sort of from the TED thread. I I met a team of documentary filmmakers. They were sort of these like this nomadic crew of, of guerrilla filmmakers traveling around the world. And I started working with them, producing now visual content. So moving from like the screen to the stage to the visual medium of storytelling and get people to care. So to loop back to your first question, the long, long answer. So I think, you know, what I really love doing and what I think I'm really good at is is amplifying, right? So taking an idea and be able to broadcast it to the world and get people to care and and help that work, sort of take that work to the next level. Let me stop you there because yeah. that's there's so many questions that are just popping up over, all over. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated when you are first dealing with this documentary nomadic crew that you described, there must have been something very attractive about what they're doing that compelled you to think not only a I want to learn from them I want to learn the tools of the trade I want to join them but essentially what your life has done is come full circle because you are very nomadic right now because you're constantly traveling with World Central Kitchen you are amplifying the message you are telling the story visually and you are the CEO so what was it about what they were doing that you said that's me I want a part of that I think it was seeing the power of using the ex- expertise the resources the tools to help increase the impact mm-hmm. of the work on the ground mm-hmm. this the documentary film crew that i met they were traveling around africa they were working on sort of telling these stories of the unsung heroes, these small projects, small nonprofits, these things that you would probably otherwise never hear about and you would never know about, but were such powerful and interesting stories. And it was, it was such a, I, I think to me, what, what I really, what really resonated with me was this idea of how bringing, bring to bear this other experience into the fold, you could take what what seem what would seem to be sort of an isolated project, a social impact project, and and really help shine a spotlight on it and increase the impact in the process. You know, help people, more people learn about it. Help this project raise more funding to do to do more to to tell the story, not just of of the folks that are maybe doing the work, but also those that are being impacted by the work. Mm-hmm. So the communities themselves and giving them a voice in in the process. Mm-hmm. And so I had an opportunity through that work to do a lot of traveling around the world to spend time with a lot of nonprofits and NGOs all over the world and see some of the incredible work being done and learn a lot in the process. And and that was actually when I first really got to know Jose in World Central Kitchen as he was just starting the organization um, Mm -hmm. down in Haiti. And it was a similar situation of, you know, he was this the chef who was, you know, who was well known, but he was starting this, this small nonprofit and he, you know, was just, just getting it going. And we thought, what an amazing story, this incredible work being done in his vision. And we wanted to help amplify that. 
I think of a quote from Peter Jennings that said something along the, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it says something along the lines is, I don't want to talk to the movers and shakers. I want to talk to the moved and shaken. And um, that. that really resonated with what you just said, which is you were looking for unsung heroes and amplifying their story. What part of your experience at TED, not only did you see the power of how a beautifully crafted story and video could transform the impact of that person, but also how many people would never get the opportunity to be on TED that could not only use it, but what a difference it would make. I, I'm sure I'm I'm sure you saw that disparity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is TED provided an incredibly provides an incredible platform to take an idea and just get it out into the world beyond what, what it would normally have. And, and we've seen this firsthand in our work, myself and my colleagues. And it's it's not easy to do either mm-hmm. to get up on stage and do this, but but the platform of somebody who's doing great work, but generally is not very well known, or you know, and and those are the, those are my favorite speakers. Those are the, or the, the the folks that are doing that work are my favorite because it's not it's not about the big names. It's not about the people that already have a platform. It's about those that don't. Right. And those ideas that then when they get out into the world and when they go online and when people can watch them and it, and then it resonates and it sort of spreads. It, it's transformative. I, I've had so many folks that I've worked with in in a variety of different fields, in science or tech or medicine or whatever it might be, education, where getting their idea out into the world like that and having potentially millions of people now view it and connect with it and resonate it, it's it's transformed the work dramatically. And so it's. I've had the opportunity to see firsthand the real power and also, you know, how challenging it can be. Everybody can't have be on that platform. So it's like, you have to kind of figure out, you know, what, what, what works. And for sure. I mean, I think it is, it's, it's so important because without that, I think you, you know, some of these ideas would not, or some of this work would never reach its full potential. The concept of to dine for is we go with the guests to their favorite restaurant, wherever that is in the country. I had to expand that to the world for Chef Jose Andres (laughs) because uh, Jose was in season one of to dine for and he wanted to go to Barcelona, Spain because he was summering there and he happened to be there. And I, he said, you know, I'll do this interview if you'll meet me at Bodega 1900, which is one of his favorite spots. And I said, let's do it. And, uh, you know, I was seven months pregnant at the time and, uh, you know, got a crew and went over there and it was really an amazing experience. Turned out to be an incredible episode. I have some thoughts on Chef Jose Andres. I'd love to hear your first impressions of him. And obviously they were powerful enough for you to want to change the trajectory of your career. So let's hear it from you. Yeah. I first met Jose cross paths with him um, through Ted, actually. Mm. I was living overseas. I was living in Doha, which is in Qatar. Um, It's a little thumb that sticks out of Saudi Arabia and the Persian Gulf. Mm -hmm. And I was working on a project as we were doing this global summit of all of these Ted folks from all over the world, um, 94 different countries. I had heard about Jose's work, but I didn't really know too much about it. And we invited him to come speak at the conference that we were, we were, or the summit that we were putting on. But even before then, 
I had been following him on Twitter and just completely serendipitously, Jose was traveling to Doha for, for work purposes, business purposes. And he didn't know anybody there. He didn't know. So we post on Twitter and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be in Doha. If anybody just happens to be around. And this was the early days of Twitter, perhaps where some of that stuff happened. And so I responded to him and said, well, I'm in Doha, you know, I'll show you around. And, Mm. and so he, he showed up in Doha and we were walking around this area of the city and went to this market, this fish market. And, you know, Jose does what great chefs do and was admiring all of, and, you know, he, I think the, the real, the first impressions that I took was here's a guy who he's such a big personality, right? He just has such a big presence and he's, but he's real. He's just, he is who he is. And he like brings you in and makes you feel like you're part of this, you know, whatever he's passionate about, you feel like you're part of this club that he shares that with you in a way that sort of like it rubs off on you, all of that passion and energy. And, you know, Tony Bourdain once said of said of Jose that he's never met anyone that had so much energy than, than Jose Andreas. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Like mm-hmm. you just, you, you, you can feed off of his energy because he's yes. so, you know, it's so passionate. And so that's, that's really, I think the first takeaway I had was like, here's a guy who, you know, he's, he loves life and he loves food and he loves all this, all of the culture and the history, everything around food. And I get the sense that he cares deeply about the world. And yes. I know his parents were nurses and that like, it all makes sense looking back, right? The fact that his family came from this family of, of nurses and, and his, his wanting to help in addition to be a chef, um, his story is remarkable. I think passion is the word. Um, he is extraordinarily passionate, but he is also so aware of the world around him. And Absolutely. so, and he's so fascinated by so many other things beyond cooking, beyond, by politics. What was it where you said, A, I want to work with him, and B, what did you think you could uniquely help him with? We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, Thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. While we were in in Doha, 
when, when he was there speaking about World Central Kitchen, it was the early days. He was just getting started with World Central Kitchen and he was focusing on clean cooking and uh, training chefs and a generation of, of chefs in Haiti for the future. And he said, you guys should come to Haiti and see the work, um, mm. see what's happening. And it just so sort of schedules aligned and myself and this team of filmmakers showed up with, with very little notice to Port-au-Prince. And we didn't really have a plan or an agenda. We just showed up to see what Jose was up to and to see if we could help, to see if we could help tell the story of what he was, what his vision was. And this was so early on, but you can see so much when you look, when I look back at some of that, some of those interviews and some of the, the footage that we shot in the very beginning of World Central Kitchen, so much of that is now sort of coming to life. Mm. I never thought I'd be running the organization, certainly at that <laughs> time. Um, but I felt a kinship to what he was trying to do. And I felt like, you know, here's, you know, how can I help amplify Jose's work? You know, how can I bring to bear my experience as an entrepreneur, as a documentary producer, as, you know, whatever it might be to this work that, that we're doing. And that was sort of the first piece of it. And while we were down in Haiti, Jose sort of had this moment where he said, you know, I, I want to make a TV show about Haiti. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to tell the story that nobody else is talking about. When people think about Haiti, they think about poverty. They think about the political unrest. They think about cholera and the earthquake. They don't think about positive things. Mm -hmm. And Jose was convinced, I think rightly so, that if people don't see Haiti in a positive light, it's never going to change. Mm. And that's despite that Haiti as a country exists on literally the same piece of land as the Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. as the same island. Mm -hmm. And the Dominican Republic is the number one tourist destination in the Caribbean. So wow. you have this huge disconnect, right? Sure. On the same piece of, of, of land. And so we, we sort of, it was a bit of a crazy idea to make a TV show. We had no funding. We didn't know what, what we were going to do with it. What year is this? This was... 2012 when he first had this idea. It took us a couple of years to get it together. And are you at this point working for World Central Kitchen? Or are you still working? You're not. You're just helping in this one endeavor. Just helping. We just, just seeing how we could support in the early days. I, I don't even think, I think World Central Kitchen maybe had about one employee then. It wow. was, it was mostly Jose, um, you know, getting, he used to say one project at a time, one plate of food at a time, just getting it going. But we, you know, we, we sort of did it backwards. Normally when you're making TV, you have an idea, you pitch an idea to somebody, a distributor or a TV network or a, a production company, and they fund it. And then right. you have a place for it to go. We did it completely backwards. You created it first. We started filming first. We had no idea where this was going to go, how it was going to go. Um, we just got on the ground and started doing it. And, and that's kind of the magic of just kind of like making it happen. Yes. And I made a number of trips down to, to Haiti with Jose um, in the next year. And we spent time after that sort of working through and figuring out what we were going to do with this, this crazy TV show idea that we had. You know, we, we, we kept working together on this and, and eventually we convinced National Geographic and uh, to co-produce it and with PBS and to air it. And we put together a one hour special that we called Undiscovered Haiti. And it was it was with Jose as he traveled around and we dug into the history and the culture and the food of of, of the entire country. And it was I, it was sort of during that time that I really got to see 
Jose and, mm-hmm. and, and where he was headed, what his trajectory was in his life as he sort of transitioned from a chef, a, a well-known sort of famous, I, mean, I hate the word celebrity chef, but you know, mm-hmm. that, that sort of realm mm-hmm. to something more. And so to sort of be part of that journey, it was very natural as we continue to work together that in 2017, I ended up on a plane sitting next to Jose as we flew down to Puerto Rico in the couple of days after Hurricane Maria. And that was really the moment that would change both of our lives for forever. Yes. He, and he talks about how it changed his life. He felt like it was something that it was almost like the wheels of motion were in play and it was something he could not ignore. And it was at that moment, I feel like he found his voice that his life would be about feeding the many versus feeding the few, the wealthy and the powerful. He would feed the people who need it the most. What was that experience like for you too, personally, to be there with him? There are a lot of moments in your life, right, where if you look specifically at that moment, you're sort of like, wow, that's just this crazy happenstance situation. But then when you look at it within the context of the larger picture, you sort of start to see everything weaving together. Sure. And I think to me, that's really what Puerto Rico was about. I think for Jose as well, right? It was not just... Jose as a chef one day woke up and said, I want to feed a bunch of people. And that's that. There were, there were so many moments along the way, going back to what you were saying about his, his parents being nurses and opening his first restaurant, Haleo, across the street from Clara Barton's missing yes. soldier's office, you know, before Clara founded the American Red Cross. Like there were so many of these moments that led to this moment of Jose being on the plane flying. And for for me as well, I think it was this culmination of all of these things together that were now leading to me being there with happened to be be there with with Jose as we landed in in San Juan, Puerto Rico and I was there to tell the story of what was happening on the ground and to be a voice. I was there to bring my experience operationally as as somebody who's founded businesses and ran teams and ran productions of mm-hmm. of documentaries which which sort of is is their own business and running an operation i sort of got thrown into this world in puerto rico of how do we feed millions of people now that you know we we didn't have a plan we didn't go in with an agenda with a plan we found ourselves in this situation and we said okay how do we how do we do this? And there was this, I think, great symbiotic complementary situation where, you know, Jose is this big vision of, of what he wants to see happening. And of course, his experience and, and knowledge in food. And here I was sort of in this moment to operationally help execute yes. on this and help tell the story in the process, right. which has, has, has remained really core to World Central Kitchen's work of like, we want to show people what's happening right now on the ground to share, to bring people into that moment. And so I think bringing all of those things together. Nate, that's a really interesting point. It's almost like your your job is twofold. It's not only to feed a million people, but to simultaneously tell the story of feeding a million people. And the importance 
and the urgency of doing it simultaneously. As a journalist, you know, we're always told to bring people into the story at the moment. And uh, sometimes you see that effectively done, sometimes not. But you are in a unique position because you are in disaster area after disaster area to tell the story as well as the journalist who's right beside you because you too are are living it with them. Really fascinating about logistics. I'm sure and I know along the way that you have learned so much about to how to harness the powers of good and all of the different factions who want to help, some of them, you know, with all the red tape and bureaucracy that comes with it. Indeed. When you think about just the learning curve from when you were in Puerto Rico to right now, and all of the different disaster areas you've been, because Chef Jose is always showing you and you're showing him, you're always right there with him. What has that been like, that ferocity of knowledge you've had to acquire in order to actually make his work work? It's a lot of real-time adapting mm. and learning. It mm. is, we we sort of joke, but but really, I mean, it's it's it feels very real that we are building the plane as we're flying it. Mm -hmm. And we don't know necessarily what, what we're doing in the moment, but I think that in so many ways is what has made us so effective Yes, because we're not bogged down. We're not held back by institutional knowledge or limitations. How it's always been done. This is the way it's always been done. We can be disruptive because we are coming at this from a new lens and with a with a different sort of purpose and priority so when hurricane dorian hit the bahamas in 2019 you know it was an unprecedented disaster nobody has seen a hurricane that big in the atlantic and the amount of devastation and it required us on the fly to come up with completely new response scenarios. And we had to get helicopters and big giant boats and uh, seaplanes. And we were, you know, I mean, just the, you know, building field kitchens. And I, I think that you're sort of tackling it one step at a time. And I think my background in the tech startup world is actually really perfect for mm. this type of work because mm -hmm. There's a term in, in the tech world, agile, mm -hmm. and it's sort of like you're, you're constantly iterating. You're not trying to get it perfect and then executing. You're just, you're getting it out there and then you're iterating on it and building on it. And that's, you know, the most effective tech companies move quickly and they're adapting. And I think we, we look at ourselves in that same way at World Central Kitchen. Like we see ourselves as a startup. We don't see ourselves as, you know, sort of a, a stodgy old nonprofit where, you know, we see ourselves, we're very tech focused. We're very forward thinking. And so we're able to kind of attack challenges through that lens. And, and it is, we, every situation we go into, we are acquiring new experience that then we can bring to the next one. But we also know that we're going to learn new things every single time as we go along. And I think one of the most important pieces that underlies all of this is that Jose is almost magical, uh, but in his tenacity to not 
accept no as an answer. Wow. Um, I don't think I've met anyone in my life that, that you can't say no when things, when, when something should be the way that it is. And if you say, you know, that's just not the way things are, you know, it's just, Jose doesn't accept it. Mm -hmm. And you, you then it forces you, okay, well then let's figure out how to, how to change that then. And, you know, there's this sheer force of will that comes from Jose that enables the work that we do because he's constantly pushing the berries. He's pushing us forward as an organization. And he's always looking at the way things should be not the way that things are. You use the word agile. You know, I was going to use the word nimble, but agile makes more sense. It's almost like Jose, you already started as an agile person, but Jose, the way he is and being around him has forced you to be more and more agile and to find a way, no matter what it looks like, find a way. Absolutely. Find a way. Sometimes uncomfortably. I mean, yeah. it would be <laughs> my my life would be a lot easier if I could just say, yeah, that's that's too difficult. No, we can't really do that. That's too hard. But that's just not not it's not acceptable, right? I mean, you don't, you got it, you gotta figure it out, whatever it takes. And there's always there's always a solution somewhere. You just have to be willing to 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 push forward and look for it. How has World Central Kitchen had to pivot in the pandemic? You were, you know, attacking every a disaster area and bringing your good works with you. And now the, you know, the need was here in this U.S. for so many different reasons. How did you handle that? You know, it's it's kind of crazy to think, but it was it was over a year ago. We mm-hmm. deployed a team out to Japan, Yokohama, Japan, to support a cruise ship that had been quarantined for this new coronavirus that was starting to spread. And we had no idea what we were getting into when we went out there. I I got an email one night in February from Carnival, the cruise ship company. And they said, Hey, do you guys happen to uh, have some resources in Japan? And we said, we'll, we'll send a team out there to, to help out. And um, we had to learn, we had to completely come up with new protocols for how to prepare food, mm-hmm. how to distribute food. Mm-hmm. We were learning on the fly as everybody was, but but taking extraordinary precautions and, and creating a new model. And we started to see how COVID was going to eventually hit the United States. It was just, it was an inevitability. And we also saw how it was not going to be contained to a specific place. It was mm-hmm. going to be everywhere. And when you're when you're responding to a natural disaster, you're tending to be focused in a geographical area, right? right? There's like you can bring all these resources to one place. With the pandemic, it's impossible because it's it's in the big cities, it's in the small towns, it's everywhere. And as a nonprofit, as a small nonprofit, World Central Kitchen, of course, can't be everywhere. So we knew that our model of cooking ourselves was not necessarily going to scale. So we thought, you know, well, look, if World Central Kitchen can't be everywhere, what if somebody else could be everywhere? And what there is in every community are local restaurants. And so we early on in... uh, just about a year ago, we had this crazy idea in early March as things started to shut down. You know, what if instead of these restaurants just shutting down and firing everybody, what if we could get restaurants to stay cooking safely and we could pay them so they can keep in business to produce meals and World Central Kitchen can help get those meals out to, to families that need them because so many people were about to lose their jobs. Yes. And, and that really shifted a lot of the way that we work. We've, we've engaged restaurants before we work with chefs, we, we activate local resources wherever we go, 
But this really was at a new level of saying, we're going to create an army of restaurants and chefs and cooks and, and staff around the, around the country that were going to prepare meals for their communities. And we, we called this idea restaurants for the people. And we had no idea how big it was going to get when we started. You know, we're going to make, we're going to do a million meals from restaurants. We're going to have restaurants in the U.S. create, prepare a million meals, which was, we thought was, was a huge ambitious goal. And to date, I think um, they've now prepared close to 15 million meals. Wow. So one five, wow. um, you know, through the pandemic. So that's really been a huge transformation of our work where we've really partnered locally and built this huge sort of core of, of amazing restaurants that have been able to give back and support their communities and, and stay in business in the process. As you look forward, as the CEO of World Central Kitchen, as you look forward, what is the vision for the next five years with World Central Kitchen? And what areas will you be pivoting and uh, being agile? And where would you like to see the organization in five years? So I, I think there's three really key areas that I'll mention. The first one is we're really going to continue to invest in our long-term, what we call our resilience work. So for example, we've never left Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. um, we've been in Puerto Rico since Hurricane Maria hit. We're not cooking ourselves, but what we've done is we've transitioned our support in Puerto Rico to assist what we call our local food producers. So Puerto Rico, one of the reasons it was so impacted by Hurricane Maria was that it, it Puerto Rico was importing 85% of its food before mm. the hurricane hit. Mm. It's very hard to have a self-sustaining sure. community when you're so reliant on food coming from the outside. So we, we created what we call it now our food producer network. We have, I think, over 250 grantees on the island. We have farmer's markets. We have trainings. So we really are investing in the long-term food security. And we're going to be taking this, we, we are already taking this program to a number of other countries, including the Bahamas, Guatemala, U.S. Virgin Islands. So really looking at long-term resilience around food in communities. How do we make sure that you know, the, the underlying issues that then get amplified by natural disasters, but we're, we're maybe already there in the first place, mm -hmm. right? How can we start to tackle those challenges? So that that is one of the pillars that we're going to be really focusing on. The second pillar is our disaster relief work. And we're going to continue to push for a change of the way that I think the this work is done more generally. And, and an example of this is, is what's taken place in Texas over the past couple of weeks. I'm sure you saw the, the news around the freeze and people were without power. And our, our federal government's response to that was to bring in a bunch of what are called MREs, meals ready to eat. These are these prepackaged things that our soldiers are given in times of conflict. And this, this remains the de facto standard mm -hmm. when our country, when the US, when the US is in a disaster, that our response to that is bring a lot of these things that aren't even edible. Nobody should be eating an MRE. And World <laughs> Central Kitchen, of course, has shown that we can prepare fresh, healthy, nutritious meals at scale for millions of people if needed in times of crisis and disaster. So we're going to continue to do that work. We're going to continue to push for a real transformation of 
of what's possible, you know, mm. and again, this goes back to what I was saying before about Jose not saying, you know, not accepting no as the answer. Mm. You know, it, in the early days when we started to do this work, people said, that's just, too, you can't cook for that many people. It's just not possible, right? Mm. You, the only way to feed that many people is using, you know, warehouses full of MREs that we bring in on semi trucks. And, and that's the only way to do it. And Jose said, that's, that's not the only way to do it. We're going to show the world what we can do. So we're going to continue to really push. Unfortunately, we live in a world now where climate disasters are getting bigger. Wildfires in California, Category 5 hurricanes are now an annual occurrence. And so we have to be ready. We need to build up our ability to respond to disasters faster. It is unacceptable, especially in the United States, for anybody to be without food and water mm-hmm. you know, for more than 24 hours uh, or even 12 hours after time of crisis. No excuse. And so the the third area I'll mention of of our work as we're looking five years into the future is how World Central Kitchen can play a role in shaping some of the underlying policies that have led us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic has really shown a spotlight, has highlighted the fragility of our food system. We've seen the the images of, of people thousands of cars waiting for a box of food at the food bank. Meanwhile, you've got farmers that are plowing under their crops because they have nowhere to sell it to because the restaurants are closed. You know, we have this big disconnect. Sure. uh, And there's a lot of work to be done, uh, I think. And this pandemic has really highlighted that we we need to address the problems in our own food system in this country. So that's an area that World Central Kitchen and Jose are really going to be focusing a lot on, um, looking at how we can start to change the way we look at food. We need to prioritize food holistically from a really countrywide perspective. Food can't just live in the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which even though it's called the U.S. Department of Agriculture, actually 65% of its budget goes to nutrition services and school food programs and things like that. It's not really about agriculture anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet that's where food primarily lives. We need to, we need to make it broader. We need to make, we need to to address it as as a really holistic challenge that our country is facing. Well, at the beginning of this podcast, you said that one of your skill set and something that you think you're really uniquely good at is amplifying, amplifying the message of really uh, specifically with what you're doing, which is so powerful. But I would also add a problem solver. It sounds like you are you could hold a master class in how to solve problems, and you have the voice of Jose Andres over your shoulder, <laughs> forcing you to find a, a more unique and innovative problems. Uh, really quickly, on to dine for we always go with the guests to their favorite restaurant because I believe someone's favorite restaurant begins to tell their story. I'm wondering, Nate. I'm sure you've had a lot of fabulous meals along the way, and and maybe you might take me pl- back to a place that reminds you of where you grew up. Wondering yeah. where you would take me as a restaurant to kind of show who you are. So this is going to sound a bit like I'm I'm just making it up for the purposes of of where where <laughs> where I work now. Uh-huh. Um, but the real answer to this question, the real honest answer, is so I grew up. I was born in Washington D.C. I grew up outside of D.C. And when I was young, in the early 1990s, I used to go out to a restaurant uh, with with my dad that was down in downtown DC. And it was a Spanish tapas restaurant, which I, uh, you know, at the time was sort of a new novel concept. Uh, this restaurant was called Haleo. Oh. Um, <laughs> And wow. uh, I, so I grew up going to this restaurant, Haleo, right. which is Jose and Rice's restaurant, which is 
which was Jose's first restaurant yes. uh, when he came to DC. I didn't know at the time. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd heard of the chef. I mean, you, you know, cross path, but never really, you know, you didn't think about it at all. It was just a local restaurant that I used to go to, but it was our, one of our family's favorite restaurants growing up. And, and really it was, it's, it was always sort of the restaurant that whenever, you know, whenever I would, I would see my dad, we'd always, you know, it'd be the first one on the list. Like where let's go out to dinner somewhere. Um, it's like, Haleo. great, let's go to Haleo. Cause it was just the place that we would always go since I was Amazing. little and growing up. And so it's, it's a bit, it sounds like I'm making that up <laughs> because now I work with Jose, but, but no, for real, it, it is, it really is the, you know, the, the restaurant that, you know, really brings back a lot of memories of my childhood and growing up. And, and of course, perhaps there's something there about the way, the crazy way the world works, right? Yes. That kind of brings it the back. full, full circle, circle story of Nate Mook. I love it. And also the connective tissue that really you, you've been able to, to demonstrate in this story of, of from IU all the way to now the CEO of World Central Kitchen. Well, I salute you. I thank you for your work. I wish you the best as you move forward, as we all move forward into uh, 2021. And here's to solving the great challenges of the world. Thank you very much, Nate. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.